Today, I want to talk to you about the truth that precedes the cross. The truth that precedes the cross. Jesus' triumphal entry. I want to read to you. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say Jesus' triumphal entry? Thank you, Jesus. It is when Jesus uh, is getting ready to go to the cross, the time is approaching, and he arrives in Jerusalem. He pulls into Jerusalem, and uh, it's, uh, things are about to go down, you could say. And uh, when he comes in, he has them uh, find a, a donkey. He gets on and he rides in, and they're throwing their palm branches down, and people are crying, Hosanna in the highest. And it's just a wonderful time of celebration as the king enters. And let me read it to you in Matthew 21. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Let me say that again. Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you, Jesus. What a picture of celebration. The king has arrived. The one we've been looking for has arrived. I want you to notice that there is a shadowing of the salvation experience in this story and throughout the cross and the resurrection. Uh, we see that Jesus enters in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the heart of of Israel. Where does God enter when you become born again? He enters into the heart of man, doesn't he? He lives within us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The king comes in glory. Now, he hasn't officially been made king in Israel at this time, but they're treating him as king. They're celebrating. They're putting their own cloaks and robes in the road ahead of him so that even his donkey doesn't have to touch the dirt. Are you with me today? They're shouting Hosanna in the highest. Yes, the king has showed up. Can I tell you something? There's always a celebration when King Jesus shows up. Amen. The angels celebrated when the babe was born in a manger. These people celebrated when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. We celebrate when he enters into the heart of another human being. Amen. And someday when Jesus returns, there's going to be a great celebration here on earth. Praise his name. What a wonderful time of celebration. They were looking forward to something amazing happening. Now, I want to take two views of this event. One is the way they saw it, and the one is the way we saw this event. Now, you and I, 
When I read the triumphal entry and I see Jesus and I picture him, can you get a picture of him riding in on a colt and there's throngs of people on both sides and they've heard of his miraculous events and his raising the dead and doing amazing things and they, they're believing the king has come. And they're throwing their coats in the road and they're shouting and they're celebrating. And Jesus at one point even says, if these people don't praise me, even the rocks will cry out and praise me. But when I read this and I get that picture in my mind, I know this is a temporary celebration because Jesus is not going up much further than this right now. He's got to go down first. That this same Jesus that they're celebrating is going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be shamed. He's going to be accused. He's going to be nailed to a cross and die and put in a pauper's grave. Yes, I know on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection, I know how this story goes. But the people who were there with Jesus didn't know that. The way they saw it was this is the beginning of his rise to earthly power. you got to understand that the Israelites had been taken over by the Romans and they were living in bondage to the Romans. In other words, it would be like if the Chinese or the Germans came and they took over our country and we were still allowed to live here, but they were in charge and they ruled over us harshly. And so they were looking for a leader to come along. They believed that God was going to send a leader who would raise an earthly army who would set Israel free through war, who would set up a good and just political government. They believed that Jesus would be the leader who would take them to the earthly promised land and make their life on earth better. Are you with me today? They were shouting Hosanna in the highest. They didn't know there was a cross coming. They didn't know there was an empty tomb coming. They didn't know that. What they thought was Jesus was going to do a lot of earthly good here on planet Earth, kind of like a politician that we believe in these days. People put all of their hopes and pin them to a politician that somehow uh, the waters are going to be lowered and and I'm going to make more money and and gas is going to go down in price. And the truth is, none of them have saved us yet. Come on. I don't care which side of the aisle they come from. They're not Jesus. Can I tell you something? Jesus didn't do any of those things. He did not raise an earthly army. He did not set Israel free. He did not set up a political government on earth. He did not come here to make your life cushy and better here on earth. If you don't believe me, read about the disciples and all they went through. There's something bigger. There's something better in store. But these people who were waving and crying Hosanna in the highest, they didn't know it. See, a lot of people think of salvation as sort of like winning the lottery, like uh, You know, uh, Ed McMahon used to knock on your door, and he'd have a big check, right? (laughs) Those older people know what I'm talking about. And uh, you'd win a lot of money, Publishers Clearinghouse, or you go and you scratch off and you win some money. And uh, have you ever noticed people that win a little bit of money, they use that money to buy some more (laughs) scratch-offs? I don't know what that is in us. We do that. But a lot of people think salvation is kind of like winning the lottery. It's glorious. And if you win, it's going to improve your life, that Jesus is going to make your life better. I would call that from good to better salvation. And the church has kind of delved into that here in America over the last few decades. And what I mean by that is we don't talk to people about the tough stuff. They don't want to hear about the tough stuff. They don't want to hear the truth. So what we tell them is that we're all good people, but if you come to Jesus, it'll be even better. Can I tell you a secret? That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That is the gospel of a church that's trying to make people feel good instead of telling them the truth that precedes the cross. Salvation is not like winning the lottery. It's more like sitting across your doctor's desk and him looking you in the eye and telling you you have a terminal disease that's going to kill you. And there's only one doctor who can save you. Did you hear me today? Yes, when the king comes into our life, when we acknowledge King Jesus and he comes into the life of a sinner, there is celebration, it's glorious. There is a good ending, but there is a moment, there is a time preceding the cross that is uncomfortable that God is not going to let you pass by. There is a truth that precedes the cross. Yes, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Glory to God for the cross because he paid the penalty for my sin. Hallelujah. And after he was laid in the tomb, he was going to resurrect himself from the dead. And the stone would be rolled away and he would walk out victorious. Glory be to God for the resurrection of Jesus because he's alive. I'm alive today. Can you say amen to that? But there is a difficult truth that precedes both the cross and the resurrection that you and I have to deal with. If you don't know Jesus today, Jesus is going to insist that you deal with the truth before he takes you to the cross. You see, the first thing Jesus did after he rode into Jerusalem is he went into the temple and he turned over the tables. Let me continue to read in Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> Verse 12, it says, and Jesus entered the temple and he drove out, say drove out, all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house, say my house, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. You see, the first thing King Jesus did when he came into the heart of Israel was not go to the cross. It was not be raised from the dead. It was not heal people. It was not do anything. He went straight to the temple and he dealt with sin. Can I tell you something? The truth that precedes the cross is we've got to deal with the sin. I know people don't want to hear about that. But the truth is God is not going to let you pass by without first dealing with the sin. The first act Jesus did was to walk into the temple and cleanse it. When Jesus walks into your life, he's going to cleanse some stuff in you. Amen? He's going to turn your world upside down. Can I tell you something? When Jesus came into my life, he flipped some tables. And he's not done. Every once in a while, Pastor Kane, he walks back into my life and finds some room that I've kept off. And he opens the door and he turns everything upside down so we can start all over again. Is anybody with me today? While the world ignores sin, Jesus is shedding a light on it. Come on. The world says ignorance is bliss. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Jesus said, if you read my word and you follow my word, then you will know the truth. And it is the truth that sets you free. It's not ignorance that sets you free. It's not ignoring it. It's not acting like it doesn't exist. It's not acting like it's not a problem. It's the truth that sets you free. The world justifies sin. Yes, we're living in a time where people make justification for their sin. Well, I, I can do that. I can rob from my boss because they take advantage of me anyway. Mm-hmm. 
I can steal from my neighbor. I can be hateful. I can do this because I've got my reasons. Truth is mine. It's all in your, I can decide right and wrong for myself. Can I tell you something? You better get off the throne of God. God is not pleased when we try to declare what truth is or right or wrong is. While the world justifies sin, Jesus is calling it out. Listen, church, if you're in Christ, you have no condemnation on you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemned for my sin. But if you're not in Christ Jesus today, if you haven't been born again, you're living under an old covenant, amen? The way God deals with people is through covenant. And you're either in the new covenant by faith, and if you're not in that one, you're in the old one by default. Are you hearing me? And the old one is based upon your actions, and your actions are not good, can I tell you? Come on. There was a woman caught in the act of adultery, and they brought her out to stone her, and the Old Testament said they should stone her to death. But Jesus said, uh, he that is without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped their rocks, and they walked away. Lots of people have picked up rocks to throw at you. Can I tell you something? When the king shows up, the only one who can throw a rock, when the king shows up, he says, neither do I condemn you. But he's not done because he finishes saying this, go and sin no more. You see, he didn't sweep her sin under the rug. He didn't say, you know, you were justified in cheating on your husband. I mean, he's a bad dude. He beat on you. He did bad things to you. He's not taking care of you right. You, you have every right in the world to go out and play the field. You can do what you want. No, Jesus said, sin is sin. I want to set you free. I want to deliver you from sin. I want to raise you to new life. But we're not going to ignore what's going on here. Jesus called sin, sin. He called it out. While the world embraces sin, Jesus came to deal with it. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not going to let you slide. He's going to deal with it. Amen? Day by day, step by step, he's going to deal with it. Especially if you don't know Jesus and, and you accept Jesus, you realize you need Jesus, and he comes into your life, the first thing he's going to do is say, you know what? you got some problems in your life. you got sin in your life. He's going to sit across the table from you and say, you've got a disease called sin, and it's killing you, and I'm the only one who can take care of it. While the world embraces sin, Jesus doesn't hide from it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't justify it. He came to deal with it. And oh my, Jesus, the son of the living God, knows how to deal with sin. Hallelujah. You see, before Jesus gives you new life, he's going to give you the truth. Before he cleanses you from sin, he's going to give you the truth. Before he raises you to new life, he's going to give you the truth. There is no salvation without first admitting the truth. And this is the truth that precedes the cross. Romans chapter 3, all have sinned. That's me too. You know, in, in this life, we have levels of sin. We think because we stole money from work, it's not so bad. We justify it. But that rapist in the jail, I'm not, not nothing like him. I'm not as bad as that one. Can I tell you something? It all stinks to God. You see, this, this, we call each other good. And I would say, the people I know here, you're good people. But those are earthly terms. You want to talk heavenly terms? Heavenly terms say this. There is none good. No, not one. Why is that? It's because heavenly terms is about perfection and holiness. You see, when you arrive in heaven and you see the holiness of God, you're going to realize 
how not good you really are in heavenly terms. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Now you can ignore the sin. You can justify your sin. You can embrace your sin. You can say things like, well, if I'm going to hell, I'm just going to go down there and party and take over. Can I promise you something? You're not going to party. You're not going to take over. It's not going to be good. I came to tell somebody the truth. Can you say amen? amen. Truth number one, all of sin. Truth number two. Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. What is death? What does that mean anyway? Say we're all going to die anyway. No, it means eternal separation from God. Let me try to quickly explain to you, and maybe in the future I'll get into this more, but really in the existence of all things, there's two places you can be. In the presence of God where there's everything that's good and perfect, and there is no sin that can exist in the presence of God. Or you're out of the presence of God where there is no good and perfect thing at all, which is the definition of hell. God's presence is not there, therefore there is nothing good out of the presence of God. And there's only these two options. Now, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God created this time and place in which we live in where we're kind of in between, right? And why did he do that? Because he loved you and he wanted to give you time so that Jesus could come and die for your sin and by faith you could accept that and go into the presence of God. When we talk about heaven and hell, we're talking about a time where this period, this age ends and it goes back to being black and white. You're either out of the presence of God where there is no good thing, which we call hell, or you're in the presence of God where every good thing is. Hallelujah. Are you with me today? Are you following me today? It's important because the wages of sin is death. Now, I want you to understand something. If you don't know Christ, if you're not born again, what that means is you've got sin in your life that's connected to you. It's a part of who you are. You, there's no good deed you can do that can get rid of the sin you've already committed. Come on. You can't make up for it. You can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. So when it comes time where there's only two options, if you've got sin in your life, you've got to go out of the presence of God because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. God would destroy sin and everything attached to it. Are you hearing me today? But through Christ Jesus, our Lord, here's truth number three. Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth and the Lord Jesus and believe in your God, heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus is literally saving you from death. From eternal separation from God. And all you have to do is place your faith in what he's done for you. Hallelujah. What it means is Jesus is the only doctor who can cut out the sin, who can separate you. You see, when I was born again, all of my sin, past, present, and future, was cut out of me. You may see me do it, but God does not identify my life by my sin. Hallelujah. God has set me free from that. I'm his child. Hallelujah. I'm already bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. He has made me clean so that when that day comes, when the trumpet sounds, when the judgment happens, I'm going to be on the right side. I'm going to be over here in the presence of God, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus bought it for me. Can you say praise God? 
That's why this matters today. If you have a Christianity that just goes from good to better, what you've got is a country club Christianity where we're all trying to just make more money and be more healthy and have more fun and visit more places and enjoy more things. When Dr. Jesus is saying, no, I got to tell you the truth. I love you too much to let this slide. The truth is you've got a disease. It's sin. And if you don't let me do something about it, it's going to kill you. I know we don't want to hear that today. Pastor won't talking about sin make people feel bad. We don't want people to feel bad. Does going to the doctor and getting bad news make you feel bad? Yeah, it does. But there's a reason for it because there just might be a cure. Come on. I thought Jesus was all about love. Can I tell you something? Love does not ignore the truth. And let me just, let me help you. Jesus didn't come to just love us. He loved us. That's why he came. But he didn't come to just hug on you and give you gooey feelings inside. In fact, in John 18, 37, Pilate said to Jesus, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world. Why? To testify to the truth. I came to tell you the truth, Jesus is saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, Jesus loves you enough to tell you that the things you've got going on in your life that don't belong there are killing you. But there is an answer, and the answer is me. The answer is my life, and I want to help you. I want to set you free. Jesus didn't come to make you feel good. He came to set you free from the disease of sin. And he loves you too much to ignore it. So I want you to know today that before we reach the cross next Sunday, before we talk about the resurrection next Sunday, the first thing Jesus wants to do is walk into your temple and start turning some tables over in your life. If you haven't been born again, you need to understand something. When we say things like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that doesn't apply to you. It's only for those who've been born again, who have placed their faith in Christ. But you can place your faith in Christ. You can trust him. You can be assured by the word of God that you're ready to meet him, but not before you first acknowledge the truth that precedes the cross. John 8, 31, Jesus saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Oh, what a celebration. When we get under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I remember the time and the place. I remember how it felt. I remember my spirit waking up. I remember it so clearly to this day. When Jesus came into my life, he turned the light on and I placed my faith in him and I trusted him and he didn't let me slide. I knew I needed a savior. Can I tell you something? The reason God shows us that we're sinners is so we know we need a savior. How many people do you know today that walk around living their life like they don't need a savior? Come on. That's why Jesus has to take us to the truth before he takes us to the cross. He has to take us to the truth before he takes us to the empty tomb. He has to take us to the truth. 
I didn't come here today to tell you that Christians are better than you if you're not a Christian. I came here to tell you that the reason we're Christians is because we know we have fallen short of the glory of God. We know that the wages of sin is death. We know we can't save ourselves. We know we can't be good enough. We cling to Jesus because he is our one and our only hope. 